All right, let's sing and worship together this morning. Stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. Way bigger, miracle 
light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. So this weekend, I had the privilege to go up to Boone, which is one of my favorite places ever. And um, Isaac and I went on a hike, and we went out at um, around like 3 or 3.30 is by the time we got down in there, and we're climbing around, and it started to, the sun started to go down, and you know, this time of year when the sun starts going down, it's like quick, right? It's going down, so we started hiking out, and it's pretty dusky, and by the time we finished this this trail out, which seemed longer than it did when we came down, it, um, it was pretty dark. It was pretty much black, and so as I was thinking about the music for today and what we were singing last night, just kind of reflecting on the weekend, um, it sort of made me think of this as this walking in the darkness where you're unsure of your footing, literally. I think I might have slipped a couple of times, um, but didn't bust, just slipped a little. And uh, just being unsure of exactly where the trail is and like, was I going the right way? And then we get to the end of the trail, which ended in this parking lot area that was well lit. And it was like, suddenly there is light and there's a clear marked path and there's a way for me to see where I'm going and exactly where I'm going to be heading. Um, which that experience just came back to me as I was thinking about these songs last night and kind of singing through them in my mind and just how how sometimes it does feel like in life we're walking through this darkness and we're not sure where the path is and our feet slip and it's we're not exactly sure what's going on and what God's trying to do and then suddenly we step into the light of where he's directing us and it's like oh God I see where you've been leading me this whole time and what you had in store for me and how good this is that um, just a reminder that that even through struggles and difficulties, God's still working. Even when I don't see it happening, even when I don't recognize it, even when I think he's not there, um, he's there all the time. And he even says in his word that he's the light, right? Um, and so when we lean in on him and look to him, he's going to give us the direction we need. And we can always trust in him and be faithful, that he's going to be faithful. Let's just continue to sing and, uh, and worship together. Jesus, Jesus. 
so much 
that you are the light to our path in the middle of darkness. God, that we can trust you in everything. And Father, that not only do you make the darkness move away so that we can see, you make the darkness and our enemies shudder at your light and your power. God, I praise you for that this morning. God, continue to teach us today from your word. I pray over Pastor Bob as he delivers the message. Speak through him, Holy Spirit. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's good to see some of you. Some of you didn't make it here early enough to hear uh, next week, we're going to be in one service at 1030. Uh, so make sure you mark that on your calendar. And then immediately following the service, uh, we're packing some shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. So uh, as soon as we're done here, head back to Family Life Center so that um, we can get those packed and get them shipped out this week. Um, a, lot of, a lot of different things going on. I, I appreciate our students and our student ministry and um, it was kind of funny. Isaac was leaving the stage, and I'm going to pick on you for just a second um, because he gives words of encouragement very quickly. And so walking across here, finished praying, he goes, break a leg. I'm like, I don't know if that's good for this. Um, there's, a, there's a step here. And so um, although you flip can flip off of that, I can't do that. Um, it is... Um, it is Good to be in this place this morning. Um, thank you for praying for our, our family. As you know, um, Debbie's and still she's with her mom and her sister this morning. And um, as you might know, that they placed her dad in a, a memory care facility uh, last week. And so continue to pray for for that family or for our family as we um, kind of navigate that amid COVID. And I know there are other situations that are similar to that, uh, that and it's very tough um, because, because we don't know exactly how to respond and how to do certain things with that. You just kind of do it as it comes. Um, and, and it's part of life. I mean, we deal with things that we don't necessarily want to deal with. Um, it's just, just the way it is. And, and I think that's maybe the, the slant that, that Paul takes in Ephesians, when he writes this letter to this church that's in an area that doesn't worship God, is kind of bent toward worshiping somebody other than God. So it's not like there's a complete void in the city of worship. Uh, there's worship taking place. It's just directed in the wrong, into the wrong person or place. And so Paul addresses that, and then he's, he has to address the Ephesian church and how they're living. Because when you live in an area where the worship is pushed a different direction and there is the church of Jesus Christ, that, that those that follow him and have committed their life to him, um, they have to stand out. They have to kind of identify themselves with Christ. They can't look like everybody else that's worshiping something else. And so Paul lays out this new way of living in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to wrap up. This series in Ephesians today, we'll go into something different next week as we talk a, a little bit about our budget 
and to do a pre budget presentation and vote next week is at the end of our service. Uh, but this, this week, let's just kind of think through what Paul has already told the Ephesian church. Um, he's encouraged them in their relationship about being in Christ. He says that being in Christ means that everything about your life ought to be different. So, so your relationship with God ought to affect every area of your life. And that would include everything, not just uh, I'm going to compartmentalize my Christian life and say, you know, when I'm at church, it's going to be about Christ. But when I'm over in school or I'm somewhere else, it's, yeah, it's going to be okay, but uh, I'm not necessarily going to be all that Christian. Paul's saying you can't do that. In Christ means that you are in Christ. And so it affects every single area of your life. And, and even that word in, he talks about it, and we're going to talk about a particular putting on of in, in the section of Scripture we're looking at today. But when we talk about being in Christ or putting Christ on, it would be as if I, I want to put Christ on at church, so I'm clothed, and as soon as I walk out, if I don't want to be in Christ, then I decide that I'm just going to be naked. And that would be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? Like everybody shed their clothes at the door. That would be bad on several fronts. But that's kind of how we do it if we compartmentalize Christian life, isn't it? Is we say we're going to clothe in Christ in the building, but as soon as we walk out, it's going to be something different. Paul's saying it ought not be. The way you look out there ought to be the same as you look in here, and ought to be clothed in Christ. And so, being in Christ is relational, affects every area of life. Second thing is, we identify with Christ as an all-in proposition. It's not part way. You can't, can't go, hey, Jesus, I am going to be 50% in. You know, any football player will tell you that they need to be 100% in when they leave the sideline and walk into the game. No coach wants a player that's 50%. I'm going to give you 50%, so I'm going to tackle 50%. I'm going to throw 50%. How long would a quarterback last if he made every single one of his passes go halfway to the receiver? Not long. So, so it's an all-in proposition. The third thing is God's grace is sufficient for the risk of the call. If God calls us to something, it has certain risks involved with it. As God called Paul, remember, he called him off of that Damascus road to be his voice to the Gentiles. There was a risk involved there, and we see that played out in his life as he ends up in jail and shipwrecked and different things in his life. We say there's a risk, and Paul, even though he didn't understand that on the front end, he was willing to follow Christ. And so God's grace built him up and was sufficient for that, that risk. And for that call. And then the, the next thing, the, the clarity of Christ's message depends on you. We talked about that recently. That when the world looks at Christ, they don't get to see Him in physical form. What they see is the church as it represents Him. And if the church doesn't represent Him well, then people don't see Christ well. And think about the examples 
in, in, our, in our culture. Just modern day examples of churches that have done certain things or said certain things. And we say, well, that doesn't represent Christ. And yet that become, they become the poster child for how the world sees Christ. If somebody says, well, what about following Jesus? Well, look at that church and what they did. And it's so anti-biblical and it hurts the message of Christ so, so bad that it affects those that are really trying to follow Christ. So it's almost as if we start in a hole when we're trying to proclaim the message. And so what, the, what society sees in us should be the clarity of Christ in every area of our life. And then last week we talked about truth. The truth was established by God and, and revealed in His Word. And the truth doesn't change. It hasn't changed. God established it, and, and regardless of what our society says truth is, if it doesn't match up with the Word of God and the truth of God's Word, then it is not truth. You know, we could talk about abortion and right to life and women's rights and, and all those kind of things, but if Scripture says that you, that you don't murder and that God established that child in the womb, that we stand up as the people of God and support pro-life. We support that that baby ought to be born, that it was by God's design that baby was even conceived. And when we go a different direction, we're saying, because we justify it in certain ways, if we go a different direction, we're saying, let's just throw this away. We'll just put this over here. We won't pay attention to it. And those of us that are in Christ have to respond in a way where this means more to us, the Scripture means more to us than a personal opinion or a society's take on a particular issue. So truth was established by God, revealed in His Word, and then walking in the footprints of God means walking in love. We're called to love. There's lots of definitions for love, but we go back to Scripture and say, what does love look like according to Scripture? And it means self-sacrifice. And do you find it that, it that right now it's really hard to love people? You, know, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't even have to nudge your, your spouse. But sometimes it's hard to love people. And, and we could do that. We could put it in the political realm. You could put it in other places. But it's, it's become extremely hard sometimes to, to love the way we ought to love according to Scripture. And yet we're called to do that because the clarity of the message depends on us. And so we, we ought to love. First John says we ought to love one another, so it starts within the church, but, but then it goes beyond the church and it means that we're supposed to love those that even might not love us or hate us. And so we're called to, to love. This morning, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And, and even on the front end of this message and getting ready for it, it was like, um, I don't know that I'm even going to like this. Because I, I remember a seminary, a doctoral class that I took on church conflict. And um, when I took the class, I thought, this ought, to be, this ought to be good. It'll help me apply some certain things. 
um, it was the worst segment of church life that I had been in. And I was taking a class on church conflict. You see how they line up? And so when we start talking about spiritual warfare, I'm like, oh, nuts. You know, this, is, this could be a really bad week. Um, and it could be a really bad week coming because of talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, I was looking at a, a quote and just kind of looking over different things. You know, C.S. Lewis is famous for um, the screw tape letters. And this was Josh Weston, um, this was his take on it. it he said this, he says, um, I remember what he taught. There is, an, there is an enemy, he seeks my destruction, and this is war. And so what we find is we find ourselves in this tension. It's, a, it's an interesting tension. We've, how can I walk in love and at the same time feel like I'm at war? So how can I walk in love and feel like I'm, and at the same time feel like I'm at war? Because it's an ongoing spiritual battle with a relentless opponent for your soul. Satan wants to destroy you. And, and the reality of it is we can live our life and earn a living and do all those kind of things. But when we talk about eternity, there are eternal consequences. And so as Satan works his best to draw the glory away from God, because that's his enemy, he seeks to destroy us and we are considered his enemy as well. Because it is a way to get back at God. And, it, and we know how it ends. We know the end of the story. We know that, that Satan loses, God wins, and all is good. But in the middle of it, it's hard. It's hard. You see, war is never convenient. And war is sometimes necessary. War is never convenient, but sometimes necessary. We see battles in, in churches, community, homes, schools, or businesses with physical struggles. But if we look at them in light of Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian church, there is a spiritual war that is taking place. And it is spiritual warfare. In, um, in 1934, there was a pastor, and this is recorded by Greg Mott and um, pastor named Martin Niemöller, um, and he explained, or he explained by his life what um, what, faith, what faithfulness to the gospel looks like. See, in '34, Hitler had summoned the pastors in Germany to come to him, and he said, "You guys need to get in line." And this pastor stood up and he says, "I need to be faithful to the gospel." Within a few short days, they not only arrested him and, and put him in a concentration camp, but they burned his church, and they burned other churches. There was a faithfulness to the gospel that required him to step in faith and trust God. And, and for, for us, we, we may not see it as, as that big a deal, but that, that requirement of following Christ may cost us because it is warfare. You know, in that particular case, we, we see physical war taking place, but there was as much spiritual warfare in the room when Hitler called those pastors to say, to, to get in line. There was more spiritual warfare happening in that room than there was physical warfare. 
There were battles that were taking place that were unseen, that you could only guess what was going on. As this guy said, I need to be faithful to the gospel, and Hitler saying, get, your, get yourself in line. Greg Mott said it this way, he kind of summed it up. He said, times of conflict and confrontation can make us lose our perspective. And that's the world we live in. We live in times of conflict and confrontation. You, you post something online on Facebook or Twitter or somewhere else, and as soon as you post it, if it's at all controversial, somebody will step into that and begin to push back. The only ones that they don't push back on are the ones that are not followed or not looked at. But when we see certain, certain folks that are prominent make statements about, about following God or trusting Christ, there is a pushback within our society and, and it's conflict and confrontation. And the spiritual warfare is real. It's, it's like Jesus explained um, the way he explained the spirit. It's kind of like the wind. You, 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 it's not seen, yet you're able to see the effects of it. And so although we may not see the spiritual warfare going on around us, the effects of it are very real. And so I want to look, us to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start at verse 10. And what I'd like to ask you to do is go ahead and stand as we look at this. Ephesians 6, we'll start at verse 10. We'll read through verse 20. And, uh, and we'll get into this and talk about some specifics of this passage. So Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, so Paul's wrapping up his letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the, given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Father, as Paul lays out for us and lays out for the Ephesians, this idea of spiritual warfare and resting in you, Father, I pray that you will guide us this morning and, 
maybe it's a redirection of our thoughts or our steps. Father, as you draw us to yourself and you teach us this morning from your word, God, may our heart be sensitive to you, may our mind be alert, and our ears um, perked up to hear the voice of, the, of you. And so, Father, guide us as we examine this passage a little closer this morning. God, we thank you again for your presence and for your willingness to, to grow us. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, it's, it's a passage on spiritual warfare and uh, the first point that we're going to look at this morning is spiritual strength begins with God. Spiritual strength begins with God. And so if you, if you look at verse, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And so we start there. See, the, the strength by which we stand or can withstand Satan's work is proportional to the vitality of our, of our relationship with him. You can't think that if you don't have an ongoing relationship with Christ, that, that there's, there's some kind of disconnect between you and, God, and the God of all creation, that you will be able to stand against Satan. And so your being able to stand against Satan is directly related to how good your relationship with God is. And I don't think it's one of those things we could just pull out of our pocket when needed. See, it's not by our own power. And even though Paul is going to talk about putting on certain pieces, it's all going to go back to who God is. It's not by our power or our might that this battle is winnable. It's centered on God. It's centered on the Lord in our life. And so... How strong is God if it seems that I keep losing spiritual battles? And so if you're in a spiritual battle and you go, and, and it's an ongoing thing, why are you losing? Why do you feel like you're losing? Because that's not the design. Paul, Paul kind of makes it pretty clear that, that we can stand against the schemes of the devil, but it does not rely on our ability to withstand that. Our willpower or our, our ability to, to be firm. It really goes back to who God is. And so Paul's going to give some practical preparation for spiritual battle using battle dress as a metaphor. Strength of his might. Every spiritual bless is, is maybe connected to that every spiritual blessing in heavenly places that we find in Ephesians 1.3. So if we take the bookends of the book of Ephesians, where it says you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and then we jump to the end and we talk about the strength of his might, would those not go together? Are you not blessed by the strength of his might if you are in Christ? Certainly being in Christ allows you to tap into a strength that goes beyond what you can do on your own. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then Paul uses this term, put on the whole armor of God. That word put on is endio, the, the Greek word. And it means to, 
it means to put on or clothe or sink into. It is, it is related to an investment or investing. And so you're putting on this full armor. And each of these pieces in this armor is complementary to the rest of the dress. And so you put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and your shoes shod with with the preparation of the gospel. And when I do, I am able to stand firm in God's power. Look what it says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word scheme is, is it's the Greek word. It's where we get the word methodology or method. And so Satan has a method for coming at you. Now Satan, we, we need to understand, is not all-knowing. He's not the same as God. He can't be present everywhere and he doesn't know everything. But I I would venture to say that He has studied you. And He knows where your weaknesses are. He knows where my weaknesses are. And because of that, He's able to develop a method by which He can affect us and, and affect our lives in a way that we stop bringing glory to God. So it has to be, it's a winnable fight. It's a winnable war. But we're fighting somebody that knows us pretty well. We have to be aware that uh, when we walk away from God, when we step out of fellowship with Him, and it doesn't mean you lose your salvation, it means when you're stepping away from that fellowship with Him, that you become susceptible to Satan's schemes and methodology. These schemes, it's different from a front attack that is expected or easily understood. Satan will come at us from all kinds of different ways, and he's crafty and deceitful. Look what it says. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. See, our, our life is, has to be adjusted and in fellowship with God, but adjusted to what Satan throws our way. I've watched several football games lately over the past couple weeks, and and what I've noticed is that there is no panic in a football team that is even down at halftime. Because you know that when you go into the locker room, you're going to make adjustments. And so what adjustments do we need to make as we understand the schemes of Satan What adjustments do we need to make in our relationship with God that would enable us to do a better job on the back end or into the second half? And so we make these these adjustments. Satan's schemes are are deceptive, much like a a football team would attempt to be, but we make adjustments. And then look what it says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's a wrestling match. And there's techniques to winning a wrestling match. But when we turn and we understand what Satan's tactics are and what he's about, then, then we stand a much better chance as we know our opponent. 
to Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28, we realize who Satan is. Satan is, is one that walked away from the glory of God thinking that his way was better, and he deserved just as much worship and glory as God did. And so he rebelled against God. And his schemes and tactics are anything that would affect our worship of God. And so it would not be unlikely that, that Satan would work in a way that the sound system in a church wouldn't work, or the video wouldn't work, or something else wouldn't fly. It, it would not be beyond, beyond Satan to use things that we would not even expect him to use. It's a, it's a, a technique or on his behalf. It's a, a subtlety in a way that gets under our skin and messes with us, and we start to we, we move away from God and get affected by Satan. Second thing in our outline this morning is spiritual preparation requires a game plan. Look what it says in, in verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation or take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we just stop there. We, we see this listing by Paul of what this armor should look like. So the first thing is to um, fasten on the belt of truth. Uh, other versions say, gird your loins. Uh, that, that kind of terminology, putting on this belt of truth, is, is something that will enable you to run. So it was, it was this battle array where the, the robe was a little bit long and you'd trip on it, but if you girded your loins, if you took the belt and you drew it up, you'd be able to run in this battle. And you would be able to be much more um, agile as, as you face the, the enemy. And so this is the, the belt of truth. It enables the warrior because truth hasn't changed. See, God loves you. Understand this. God loves you, and you're not alone. We, we've got to understand that. And in this time where isolation is part of our landscape, it's easy to feel as if you're the only one on the planet dealing with something. See, isolation and subjective truth has created a crisis in our nation and in our world. When there's no clarity about truth, we become susceptible to the lies of Satan. Hear this. We've been dealing with issues for six or seven months with regard to COVID and isolation. With schools that are not in in-person classrooms. Where there's been a separation of individuals. And, and some, sometimes the family is together, but separation from all the rest of society. And because of Learning and isolation, it is going to take a toll going forward in our society. Now, we can do one of two things. We can be like Lemu or the, the emu guy from um, 
You know what I'm talking about. We can put our head in the sand. Or we can decide that we're going to be a church that steps into that and makes a difference because people are going to struggle. You may be in here struggling. You may say, man, I'm, because I've been isolated and I'm separated from my friends and all those kind of things, I'm struggling with depression. Or I'm struggling with anger because I spend this much time on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. And so I get, I get mad. It takes me about 30 minutes, if that, to get mad at what's going on in society. And so we're going to have depression issues and isolation issues and anger issues that we're going to have to deal with. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to step into those messy places on the back end of COVID that we may could have ignored otherwise. But if we're going to be a church that proclaims the love of Christ to the community around us, we're going to have to not think as much about us and think more about those that don't have a relationship with Christ and enable them to see the love of God and the peace that comes through a relationship with Him. So the belt of truth. Second thing, the breastplate of righteousness. It's the most visible It's a righteousness that's derived from our relationship with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So, So God took on the penalty of our sin for us, made Jesus sin for us so that we could put on this different identity this righteousness that comes because of jesus christ if you think you have a righteousness of your own you are deceived you have no righteousness of your own your righteousness comes through jesus christ and then put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace why because warfare is conflict and chaos that fills the atmosphere when spiritual warfare is prevalent. We can lose our perspective. So we go back to the gospel and understand that God is in control and He is still worthy of our worship. And so this whole idea of the gospel that brings peace to a life is a peace that those outside of Christ do not understand. What if I don't know Christ and I, I contract covid And I end up in the hospital, and I die. Where am I? Spend an eternity in hell, right? That's the reality. And so why, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, why would you not be fearful of contracting COVID and getting that sick? Or contracting anything else for that matter? Why, why would, if I don't have a relationship with Christ, and we, we kind of look beyond this, but why would I get in a car or on a plane? Forget COVID. Why would I put my life at risk if I have no peace? And yet we are given this, this thing called the gospel, and we become ambassadors of, the, of peace to those around us. put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The the next one is the shield of faith to defend from the flaming arrows of Satan. Accusations, slanders, doubt, 
You see, Satan's weapons are meant to destroy. I would encourage you to go back and do a little study on warfare techniques. If you want a, a brief, um, brief picture of that, you can go to um, Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath, and he talks about um, what happened between David and Goliath and, and the warfare parts of that and what people would wear into warfare. And there were different sections. There was the, the artillery. There were, there were those that would um, just sling rocks, and they were very good at it. But there, there's a technique to it. There, there were those that wore armor and were ready for hand-to-hand combat. And there were different parts of, of a, a particular army. And, and when we talk about um, this shield of faith, this shield had a particular purpose. And when we put on the shield of faith, it means that we are trusting God uh, against those accusations or those slanders, those, the, the things that Satan brings against us. How many times have you failed in a commitment to Christ? And when you finished with that, Satan brought up and said, and look how unworthy you are. Man, there's no way you can share the gospel with somebody else because you don't even have your act together. And that, that, um, that puts us in a, in a place where we can't do anything. And so we have to have the shield of faith. Then the helmet of salvation, knowing that we're secure in Christ. And the sword of the Spirit. It's interesting that the only offensive weapon in the whole arsenal that Paul mentions is the sword of the Spirit or God's Word. And we see that played out in the example of Christ in Matthew chapter 4 when he's in the desert. He's been fasting for 40 days. Satan comes and he says, hey, aren't you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. We'll do this. But don't you, don't you want to be in charge? Do this. You know, Satan starts throwing these things out. And what, how does Jesus respond? He responds with God's word. Certainly, he's worn down from, from fasting. And the truth is, for us, when we are tired and worn down, when we're not getting enough sleep, when we're not on top of our game, if we're not doing the, the right nutrition, we become more susceptible to the attacks of Satan and more likely to give in than we would at other times. So we, in some ways, need to guard that, and we start with God's Word. See, when you feel that there is no hope, you're susceptible to the deceptions of Satan and the distortion of God's word, and essentially become ill-prepared for battle. Now, I want you to note that as we look at this, that every part of this battle array is dependent on God. Your faith, the truth, your righteousness, the gospel, your salvation, His word, all those things start with God. So if you go, man, I want to put on all these things, but I don't want to have anything to do with God, you're going to be missing because those things will not exist apart from Jesus Christ and who God is. Every part of that battle array that is necessary starts with God. The third part in our, in our outline this morning is spiritual victory demands discernment. Spiritual victory demands discernment. We know what ultimately, that ultimately Jesus is the victor. 
those in Christ can claim victory with no recount or court battle. We don't have to worry about that. It says that we should pray at all times. What it says, pray, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we are to be on the alert. We're to pay attention. And then we're to pray at, in the Spirit. They're connected ideas. This idea of perseverance and petition go together. It's an ongoing action for us. Kids say, you know, I'm going to pray once in the Spirit, and then I'm not going to pray anymore. It's ongoing. And when we rely on God, we have the ability to withstand and not become weary. It's Galatians 6, 9. Don't become weary in doing good. The greatest victories are the ones that require the largest sacrifice. We can look at Jesus' example for that. And so Paul bookends this spiritual battle with the strength of God and relying on Him. And so we try to avoid being a Christian that is fatigued and shell-shocked by putting on the things that God provides for us. Verse 19, And also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This idea of being battle-ready, we see in this, in this passage, is a requirement for those in Christ. It's necessary. We say, oh, but it's so hard. We're going to withstand what Satan throws our way. We've got to, to put on these things. Paul understands that the ability of the body of Christ, the church, to operate the way it's supposed to, in unity, loving as it ought to, identifying with Christ and making a difference in the world, depends on um, us submitting to God in relationship and allowing God to dress us in the armor of God. I want to make a, a statement here um, regarding this whole battle. Because we're going to find ourselves in the battle. And we can be willing participants on Satan's behalf. Or we can be subject to being used by Satan and not even know it. You know, that's a very real possibility. And we don't want to be we don't want to be vessels of Satan. We want to be vessels of God. We want to be those that have committed our lives to Him, and because we've committed our lives to Him, we're so connected that we proclaim Him at every turn. We don't want Satan to receive any glory. And so we must be on the alert and guard ourselves because of three things. We have to, or we have to do three things. We have to be aware that there's an enemy. We have to be aware there's an enemy. Secondly, we need to be prepared for that battle. And lastly, we need to be to get together in heart. 
Those are the things that we ought to be as the church committed to Christ. Everything we do as a church ought to be to bring glory to God. Never being a messenger of Satan. And always standing firm in our faith because God has provided a way for us to do it. So this morning, we could be in a couple different camps. You may be here and have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you've not done that, then you don't really understand the the peace that goes with committing your life to Him. And and that may be even hard to explain, but understand that the victory in every spiritual battle has already been won by Jesus Christ, and the proof of that is the empty tomb. And so I would encourage you to trust Christ this morning for your salvation, to trust, trust Christ this morning for being able to stand against the schemes of Satan. The second camp are those of us that have accepted Christ, but we still face battles. And we face them every day. And so maybe, maybe this is a, a way to put it for us individually. You, know, you, you recognize that Paul was dramatically saved on that Damascus road, and we would consider him as extraordinary, extraordinarily committed to the gospel. But he still needed the body of Christ to pray for him. At the end of that, pray for me that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so I'm going to ask some of you to come to the altar and pray this morning for others that are in this body that need to speak boldly as they ought to speak the truth of the gospel. Secondly, that you would pray for our church, that as we seek to to make authentic or develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ, that we'd be open to avenues of ministry that are now available and needed, which which is going to mean change. And it's change that God has brought our way and enabled us to to maybe pursue. So I'm going to ask that you come and pray for our church as we look at different ways that we can minister going forward in a COVID, post-COVID kind of world. Some of you might need to come and, and pray and say, you know, I've, I may be being used by Satan in certain areas of my life. And, and God, I don't want that. And so there's all kinds of different means or all kinds of different reasons to come to the altar. So if you go, well, somebody's going to spot me for, for this particular thing, understand that there's a myriad of, of reasons to come to this place and pray. So there's no reason for anybody to think judgment. So whatever you need to do when it comes to the invitation, I would encourage you to do it. And if you want to accept Christ this morning because you've never done that, I'll be at the front. Pastor Jeremiah's here. And uh, we'd be glad to talk to you about that relationship with Christ. There are others that are in our fellowship that can easily have that conversation with you as well. So let's pray. And then as God leads you, you come. Father, thank you for this morning, for your word, for the challenge of your word. And pray that you will just continue to work in a way that would bring you glory. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand and as God leads you, Paul wraps up this letter, final words, says this, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God 
the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul takes them from spiritual blessings and identity in Christ to a love that goes beyond anything because of Jesus Christ. Let's go love well this week. Be the people of God that show with clarity the message of the gospel of peace. Pastor Jeremiah, would you close us? Let me remind you to, to head back to the Family Life Center to um, help with Operation Christmas Child so we can get those shoe boxes out this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the word today. And God, we just ask that you, uh, Lord, would, that your Holy Spirit would continue to stir up what was spoke uh, here today uh, to us. And God, that your word would take effect in us, Lord. Lord, we know that there is an enemy. We know that his will is to steal, kill, and destroy, God, uh, the people of God, the house of God. And, Lord, we just ask that, um, Lord, that you would awaken us to your purposes, awaken us to your agenda, awaken us to the point of being led by your spirit, God, and by your word. Uh, so, God, we pray over our congregation in this 9 o'clock service, Lord, this morning, over each and every family that's here, each and every person. And, Lord, we just ask that you, God, would come and touch each and every person here, God, and bring us closer together and closer to you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.